Hallelujah. Well, last week I preached on water baptism. And uh, this week I'm going to teach on it again. And um, we talked last week about um, how John the Baptist came to Jerusalem or came to Israel at a time um, when there had been a silence from all the prophets. And so here's John, the last of the prophets, and they're coming from all over. I mean, they're, they're, uh, those from Judah and Jerusalem and all over are coming out to an area in the middle of a wilderness. Okay. And this just isn't a wilderness. It's a very rugged wilderness. It's not the kind of place you go, um, in search for anything, honestly. There's nothing there. There's no, uh, McDonald's. There's no, uh, Golden Corral. There's no, uh, Old Charlie's. Okay. You get it. It's a wilderness, right? Like we don't even know what a wilderness is. We don't have one of them around here, right? And so they're going out in the wilderness in droves, like really large numbers to be baptized by John the Baptist. And like I was telling you last week, baptism wasn't the normal thing for a Jewish person to do. But John the Baptist was telling them to repent because the kingdom of heaven is now and you must be baptized to be prepared for the Messiah to come. And so I was telling you last week that there's only really one group that submitted themselves to baptism before John came, and that was what's called a proselyte. Somebody who wants to be Jewish, but they're outside of the Jewish faith. And there were three things they had to do, and the first one was recognize I'm a sinner. Recognize my natural state. I can't make it to heaven. Recognize my natural state. I am what the Bible calls in terminology, uncircumcised of heart. That means my heart hasn't been changed in order to receive God. I'm still a sinner and I'm not saved by grace. And I've got to recognize that I'm a sinner that needs grace. And and every week, how many know, I spend a great deal amount of time to make sure we all know we're sinners who have to be saved by grace and grace alone. And so I have to spend a lot of time with that because in order to preach the good news, you have to understand the bad news. And so if a ministry does not preach that foundation that we're sinners and in our current state we're not going to make it, then they've not adequately preached the good news. Amen? Praise the Lord. And the second thing was they had to be water baptized in immersion. And they came out, according to the Jews, this proselyte came out a new creation. Like they were in a new kingdom. They were in a new identity. They had a new name. They were Jewish now through baptism in the proselyte process. And this is where actually this custom came from was people that were entering the Jewish faith. Well, John the Baptist was so radical. And then the third thing was they had to offer a sacrifice because only by the shedding of blood is there a remission of sin. So a sacrifice had to be offered, which was fulfilled in the Messiah. And so the Jews were coming in droves, which was really unusual because they were submitting to this baptism and they weren't proselytes. It's just they shattered the old system and the Messiah said, now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everything that was in that old system is fulfilled in me. And so they were being baptized for the remission of sins. No longer was it the covering of sins. Now it was the remission of sins. And so they were being baptized in droves. Jesus comes and John's disciple says, what's going on here? He's baptizing more than you are, John. John was baptizing a lot of people. Now Jesus, his disciples are baptizing more than John for the remission of sins. Now we get the church as we move forward. Day of Pentecost, 33,000 people are saved. And what are they, what's, what's happening to them? They're being what? Baptize every one of them. They continue baptizing everybody that uh, professes faith in Jesus Christ. They're baptized. 
Jesus in every one of the Gospels gives a command to go into all the world and what? Baptizing men, women, everybody that believes in Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life. We're going to baptize them and we're going to begin to disciple them. Hallelujah. So we see the foundation being laid. This week I'm going to build on that teaching. I'm reading from 1 Peter 3.18. I'm going to turn there, 1 Peter 3.18. And I want to build on this idea. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring who to God? You to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of who? Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through what? Water. And this water symbolizes baptism. That now, what? Saves you also. Now he makes clear what he's saying by that. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, speak Your words, Your wisdom, Your knowledge. Hide me behind Your cross, Lord God. Use me for Your glory. Give everybody ears to hear, Lord God. Give me a voice to speak by your spirit, Lord. Do it today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. You see that Peter is being very careful with his words here. Let me know that you go in a lot of different Christian churches and there's a lot of ideals on water baptism. In fact, you find extremes just like you find with everything. How many know our world's made up with a lot of extremes, right? And so you'll go into one place and they'll say, well, you must be water baptized in order to be saved. And that's one extreme. But then we begin to look and we begin to see, well, hold on, what about the thief on the cross? You know, what about in Acts when they were saved and the early church looked at them and and they said, well, can they be baptized since they're saved just like we are? They said, yeah, they can, which indicates they were already saved. Correct? And then you have the other extreme where it says it's not really that big of a deal. It's just a formality. It's just a formal ceremony and it's not really that big of a deal. And obviously, as we read this, it looks like a big deal, right? Everybody would agree. And that's another extreme. And so Peter is trying to state here that it is very, very important, this thing of baptism by water. There is a spiritual thing here that is very, very important that he's trying to uh, get across. But then he also stops and he says, wait a minute, it's not the washing of the way of the dirt on your body or the filth of your flesh or the ceremony or the physical act. He said, but it's this thing, this conscience toward God. It means your conscience has changed in your relationship to God and my conscience now is different in how I relate to God and that's what's really important about this water baptism. If you want to be water baptized by the Spirit of God, your conscience has to change. In fact, a couple of other translations of that verse. There is also an antitype, which now saves us baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, 
but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Berean literal Bible, which also prefigures the baptism now saving you, not a putting away the filth of the flesh, but a demand of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you notice in that verse it says it's the initial change in your conscience toward God But then later he says in that verse, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven as God's right hand. So there is an initial, I have faith toward God and now God is a part of my life. God is in control of my life. God is guiding and leading my life. But then there's also this baptism that comes through the resurrection. Meaning at the time the judgment comes, whether that's at my death, whether that's through the, you know, the, the judgment seat of the Lord. How many know that there is a baptism that we're going to be saved from because we're in Christ? So there is a early one and later when you're going to see this as I begin to go through some of these examples. I said to you last week that the Jews were submitting themselves to something that wasn't normative for them. It wasn't normal for them to submit themselves to water baptism by immersion. This is something that John uh, began to do in advance of Jesus coming to this world. And But the Bible is a book of patterns. How many know that? The Bible is a book of patterns. God lays out the Word of God at the very beginning, and there are patterns of what He's going to do all the way through what's called redemptive history. God spends uh, time on creation, but he doesn't spend nearly as much time explaining creation, which, you know, to us is like, wow, why didn't he spend half the Bible on creation talking about it? You know, because that's when he created all the planets, the endless solar system that we have, the the spacious... um, world universe that we live in. How many know we haven't even begun to even discover what he created? And yet he doesn't spend a lot of time on there. You know, he's very accurate, very precise, but he's like, okay, now that that's out of the way, let me talk about redemption. Let me talk about the redemptive um, work that I'm doing in this world and what I want to do through man. Man becomes the centerpiece of what he's trying to do in this world. The creation of man in his own image is the crown of his creation. And everything the Bible says in creation is made for those who will inherit righteousness. So he's created it for us. He created it to show who he is, what he is, what he's all about. And so God begins to... um, He begins to give patterns of baptism in the Bible. And if you didn't notice it there, Peter is explaining that there is an antitype, there is an example, there is a pattern that started with Noah, a baptism. Did you see that? The water of Noah represents the water of baptism. Now, I will tell you, when commentators begin to um, break down this verse, they consider these three or four verses to be some of the very toughest to interpret in the whole Bible. It's just considered one of the most difficult um, phrases to really interpret what he's trying to say here. So we're going to really take our time to try to... The whole goal of Scripture and the whole goal of these types in the Bible to make things simpler, not harder. And so God has this man named Noah. And Noah is living in a culture that is absolutely beyond wicked. When the culture is so far gone that God has to destroy the entire earth, how many know that's a pretty rough culture? It's pretty difficult culture to deal with. And a lot of the things uh, from this culture, um, we just don't even know. God doesn't even go into detail about all the things that they were doing. In fact, he's very short in the narrative about what they did, what they were up to, uh, but we know it was some pretty bad things. Okay? And this 
is a baptism he does with a family. This is a family baptism. You say, well, how do you know that? Because as you begin to read the story, you begin to see Noah. In fact, Hebrews puts it this way. It says, by faith, when it talks about what Noah did in that day, it summarizes it this way. It says, this is Hebrews eleven seven. It says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned. Sometimes we miss that. Noah was a prophet. He had a prophetic insight from God. Now, right now, your mind should be thinking of putting yourself in Noah's place in the world that you live in. Okay? We've got to think that way. Why? Because Peter said what Noah did is our example for what baptism is today through the water. Do I need to read that again? To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that saves you now also. Only eight people. Is everybody listening? Entire population of the world, eight people were saved. And he says, now... The water in Noah's day is symbolic of the water of baptism. We should be all ears right now. How do I, how am I saved out of this current world into the world that God has prepared for us to come? And he's explaining it through Noah. So it says, Noah by faith was divinely warned of things not yet seen. So what are some of the things that are not yet seen for us? Because that's written for us. It says everything is written as examples for us to take notice. Some of the things that are not yet seen is there is going to be a seven-year tribulation. There's going to be the 70th week of Daniel. There's going to be a time that comes upon the Jews that's more difficult and more treacherous than any time that ever comes on the face of the earth. And there's going to be a kingdom that's going to come on this earth through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And some of us may see that, but some of us may be before the judgment seat of Christ even before that time. Some of us may be at the judgment just simply because we passed away. How many know that? And so what we're trying to do is we want to be like Noah and we want to be ourselves and our family protected and we want to be able to make it through the waters. The waters are a form of deliverance for those who accept it and it's a form of condemnation for those who reject it. Let me know that. And we want to be those who accept it. And it says Noah being divinely warned of the things that are not seen, the things that are coming, he moved with godly fear. And he prepared an ark for the saving of himself. Right? He prepared an ark for the saving of himself. Right? The Bible says, never believe a thing that I say. Be a Berean, check it out for yourself. Noah prepared an ark for the saving of himself. Who said that? He prepared the ark for the saving of his household, not for himself. When did Noah begin to have a good conscience toward God We know it was at least when he started building the ark, which was a hundred years. He began building the ark for the saving of his household, not himself. Don't amen me too quick. Baptism, this is baptism for his family. This is baptism of a household. This is a person that has decided because of 
their fear of God and their knowledge of what's coming, church, if we have knowledge of what's coming, we will begin to move with godly fear and begin to build a shelter for our homes and our families and those people around us. And when what Noah was doing was building, preparing an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Three things he did. I'm going to start building this ark because God has put it in my heart because there's about to be divine wrath on the world, on the world, in the world that we live in. How many know that? And God is telling us the same thing. He's looking for a few faithful people that will, that will be baptized into that clear conscience and that clear conscience, what's it do? The clear conscience puts you to work and says, you know what? For the rest of the days of my life, I'm going to be building this ark in faith for the saving of my household. First with my household and then for the saving of anybody that I can find and convince. He was a preacher of righteousness for a hundred years. And so his whole life, what do you think he was doing? Monday, I'm on my way to work. I pass Noah's house. What's he doing? Building the boat. Tuesday, I walk by Noah's house. What's he doing? Hey, Noah, what are you doing? Building a boat because of the divine wrath that's about to come. Hey, Noah, Wednesday, what are you doing? Building a boat because I know what's about to come on this world. Thursday, you can probably guess. He might take Fridays off, I don't know. But do you understand this bolt, they sometimes doubt it because some of the great empires of that period of time weren't building bolts this big. And so he was building a bolt so big because he had a clear picture of what the wrath was going to look like. He had to have a bolt that would hold up under the wrath. And so that bolt not only was built with the certain dimensions God told him, it had to be rubbed all over the inside and outside with something called kofair. And it just means a covering. And so he was covering it all on the inside, all on the outside, making it waterproof, building this boat. And spiritually, can I tell you, this is a picture of baptism. The Bible says that I didn't say it. It means that I've committed myself to preparing for what God says is going to happen to the world around me. It says that by doing that, he condemned the world. Remember I told you baptism with a proselyte, the first thing you had to do was admit you were a sinner? Like I can't even get to the next part of the gospel until I can convince everybody that we're sinners saved by grace. That the only way that I'm going to make it, the only way my family is going to make it, my household, my church, the only way we're going to make it is to know that we have a serious problem and we have a serious solution. One solution, one solution only. And that is Jesus Christ is the ark. When he says I'm, I'm a master builder and you're building a house, I hope you didn't think that was a mansion on earth, because I think it might be more like a houseboat. Amen? He knows how to build a house that will withstand the storms of judgment in the church. There is a judgment coming very soon on this earth. We're just as wicked as the days of Noah. You know how I know? Because it says it'll be like the days of Noah when he returns. And they'll be giving in marriage. They'll be doing normal things, buying and selling, giving in marriage, doing all the normal stuff. And this earth will be so wicked, it'll be similar to the days of Noah. Well, what was happening in the days of Noah? Well, I don't know. There was some kind of genetic thing going on where giants were being produced. Well, surely in our world, they're not genetically altering. They are. And that's when God said, it's enough. It's enough. And so we're living in those days and God is looking for a few faithful people that will baptize themselves into Christ and say, you know what? The waters are coming and we're all going to receive the water. The only difference is some are going to float on top of it 
and some are going to perish in it. There are those who are going to be, God's going to deliver, and there are those who will not make it through this judgment, and God will not protect them. I mean, no, that's true. And so God is telling us this is a example of how he wants us to live our life in baptism and after baptism. I think uh, Noah was baptized in the Spirit at the very beginning. I think that's what caused him to condemn the world and say, hey, this world is not going to be around much longer. I better get busy on this boat and I better preach for the next However long my life lasts, I better preach to people that they need to get inside of this thing for safety. And so it says he became one of those preachers of righteousness. And every day he said, get in here. Get in here. There's no other way to be saved. It's, you've, you've never seen a flood like this. No, it doesn't rain. Come on. Why do we need a boat? Because God clearly told me that there's going to be judgment. And he began to be an inheritor of the righteousness which is according to faith. You say, well, man, I don't know about that. The Bible says in the same scripture in Hebrews 11 that many of them believed and they didn't receive everything they were promised while they were alive. But they're going to receive everything they were promised. That means there's a lot more promises coming after we die than even when we're alive. Now, I want you to imagine Noah right now. Noah is the lower level person among the wicked, right? He's the one everybody laughs at. He's the one everybody mocks. He's the one that's not getting ahead. Everybody else buying and selling and making money and greedy and violent and going after each other. He spends all his time building an ark for his family to be saved. We're getting ahead. Noah's way behind. But here's what God's trying to show us through this baptism. God is going to recreate on the earth. He's decided all of the wicked are going to be gone and I'm going to start a new heaven and a new earth with this family. And it's because of one person's faith. So he picks them up. The waters, this is just God basically saying... This is how I'm going to populate the earth now. The earth is wicked. It's beyond all wickedness. So now I'm going to take the righteous. And now Noah lands back on the earth. And what is he now? Ruling the earth. Just like Adam. Go and replenish the earth. Fulfill his promise. Just just go on and fulfill my promise of of, of filling the earth. Replenish the earth now. How many know that he went from being the lowest to the ruler of the earth? It says in Hebrews, he became heir. Wow, the lowest guy in the society is now the heir of everything. Church, do you realize this is shadows of us? God through baptism, through Jesus Christ is going to make us rule and reign with Christ. There's going to be a flood of judgment on this earth and guess who's going to return at the end of this? The church is going to return and rule and reign with Christ. We're the lowest now. They mock us. They laugh at us. They they say that we're nobodies. We're unique. We're, we're set aside as those to be ridiculed, those to be mocked, those to be persecuted. You say, Chad, if I live like that, they're going to give me a hard time. They gave Noah a hard time. In fact, this passage in Peter is talking about suffering for Christ. It's worth it. He's saying Christ suffered the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ did this because Christ understood what Noah was doing. Noah was an antitype, he said. Noah was a prototype of us. That in baptism, when the, when the floods of judgment came, God is fulfilling His promise that the righteous will rule and reign on the earth as we know it one day. And so we're heirs. See, you don't get excited because you're not inheriting a million dollar fortune. It's more like 
untold millions. See, if I told you you were inheriting a worldly fortune, I would have people shouting in the aisles and I'd have people jumping up and down. And and that's what God's trying to make us forget, the riches of this world, because the riches of the world to come are far beyond anything this world would ever have. And he's saying, just a little while longer, church, serve me and be faithful. Because you're going to rule and reign. I mean, just imagine. You land down, you're Noah, and you're just like Adam. Do you understand that? Noah came off of that ark. Not another soul on the earth. Who do you think owned the whole earth at that point? God was giving it to him and saying, replenish it, fill it. Now you can trace every society back to the 16 grandsons of Noah. Did you know that? You can do a study right now. There are major chronicles of books that are written about where each of the 16 grandsons of Noah went and what cultures trace themselves back to that person because that those sons of Noah replenished the entire earth. How many know that? This is an antitype of us. And you say, well, was Noah Jewish? He wasn't. I mean, oh, there wasn't a Jewish family yet. There were no Jews yet. God was blessing a family. And he was saying, through this family, I'm going to bless the earth. And so the the Adamic blessing flowed right through faithful people and then to this family, Noah. In fact, Noah's father, grandfather, they were faithful to God. And he said, well, man, what happens Now, God is going to eventually make his own people, right? Why weren't the Jews ever baptized? And as we go on, we begin to see God, through this family, we begin to see a man come along named Abraham. And God says, hey, I'm going to make a nation of you. I'm making promises to you through this family that I'm going to make a nation. You say, was Abraham Jewish? No. I mean, no, he wasn't Jewish at the time. And God said, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a nation. It's going to be my nation. And I'm going to bring this nation, Abraham, one day when you've long gone, this nation's going to go into cap, this people are going to go into captivity and they're going to come out a nation. They're going to come out different. They're going to come out unique. But first I need to find a person It's kind of like Noah. And so God is searching for a person. And get this, Hebrews says, this one might surprise you if I can find it in my notes. I probably can. All right, somebody can find the verse later. But it says that the parents of Moses, by faith, built an ark, covered it with pitch so it would float, and by water, they sent Moses down the river. Now, how many know this is the same water that all the other Israelite children died? But God is taking a faithful family who trusted God And they're sending Moses to be protected, just like the ark of Noah. Faithful family, sending their child. Everybody else is condemned. Couldn't find another person to lead them out of Israel. How many know there wasn't another person to lead them out of Israel? God raised up this godly family again. You say, well, man, what's it mean for me to be a mom or a dad and be faithful? You're building something for your whole household. I mean, know that. This is the example we're given. And so this family was faithful. They make what looks like a tiny ark. I mean, know that. It's very intentional, the example here. They build a tiny miniature ark. They cover it with pitch inside and out. And they send it down the same waters where every other child is being killed because the Pharaoh is afraid there's too many of them. But God is looking for somebody of faith to build an ark again. Moses is put in there. How many of you know Moses' name is not Moses? 
Moses means, it says that she named him Moses in Exodus because he was drawn from the water. That's his new name. Okay, his old name we don't know. But it just says that Pharaoh wanted to kill every child in that area, and so they were being thrown in the Nile. God decides to save one with an ark by a faithful family who built it, and their faith was demonstrated by getting inside of the ark and sending him down the river. Right? And guess who he ends up finding? The same Pharaoh that was trying to kill him, his daughter just happens to be in the water and sees this little boy and says, I'm going to name him the drawing, drawn from the water boy. Okay? His name is Moses because he was drawn out of the water. And so get this. Another example, another antitype of what's going to be baptism. He's drawn out of the water. He leaves a slave. You understand, Moses was a slave. You say, well, wait a minute, he was royalty. Not before his baptism, he wasn't. God had a call on his life because his family was faithful and built an ark. And God is going to deliver his people through that. And so she finds Moses. Moses is now raised in the palace He went from being a slave to being a palace royalty. How many know that? And God is giving us an example of what he does when he makes something new. God is raising you up to be faithful in your household because he wants to build a place to protect your family. God wants to deliver your family. God wants to deliver your community. But he needs faithful people who are willing to build. And you don't start building until you're first baptized into the Spirit. And you say to yourself, that's my clear conscience toward God. I'm ready to work. And so God, let's see if the the prototype continues. He begins to separate these people. And he says, I'm going to make you a nation. But they're not a nation yet. Moses shows up with Aaron. They're still not a nation yet. The ten plagues are executed upon uh, Egypt. They're still not a nation yet, right? They finally are expelled from Egypt. He's like, get them out of here. I don't want them here anymore. All of the plagues fell upon Egypt. They were terrible plagues, right? Awful plagues. In fact, they, they, they amazingly parallel the book of Revelation. And they're expelled from the land. And God is doing something here. God is giving us another antitype of the church. They're expelling God's people. He's saying, get out of here. And now here, they're ready to become a nation. So here we are, we're walking up to the Red Sea. And it just kind of parts like these chairs. It's almost perfect. The Red Sea is... Way too deep for anybody to pass, right? Listen to this from Paul. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 4, it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant. I love the way he backhandedly always calls me ignorant, Paul does. I don't want you to be ignorant. That means I am ignorant, but he doesn't want me to be. You know, he really would prefer I was smart. For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Then all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, where they drank of the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So I'm getting another example of baptism here. So I have a nation again, just like Noah. It was a family at first. Now by the faith of Moses' family and Moses, now God is separating a whole nation. This uh, ark is pretty big now, right? It was just eight people and a bunch of animals, a floating zoo, right? Now we've got a whole nation about to emerge, something new again. New name, new people. The old is passing away, the new is coming. So how how does God do it? He baptizes the entire nation. In fact, Hebrews, I hope I can find it. I'm so lost in my notes. But Hebrews says, by faith, this is Hebrews 11.29, same chapter I've been reading from. 
By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were all drowned. The title of my message is The Power of Baptism. So I'm bound in slavery, and I think I'm free because they let me go. But I'm not free. I'm not really free until the Red Sea at my baptism. And so I don't even know, I don't even, can I be honest? I see these patterns and I don't even understand it myself. But I know they're there. You say, well, can I be baptized with water and not change? Absolutely, I've seen that many times. Then you ask the other question. That's the person who is baptized but never changed. Then the other question is, can I change and not be baptized? And the answer to that is, I see it all the time. People are dramatically changed and they've never been baptized or baptized yet. But church, I would rather be both. Why can't I be baptized? I don't care if you've been serving the Lord 40 years. I think it's important that I should be baptized. Amen? I would rather be both because I want to be obedient to God and I want to see God doing my life like He did with Noah and Moses where they were dedicated with a clean conscience toward God and they're ready to work to prepare for the world to come. That's what I'm doing. I'm preparing. I'm making a structure that my whole family can be saved. I want them to see every day in the next hundred years. You say, Chad, you're going to be 148. But for the next hundred years, I want to see him. I want my boys to walk by every day and say, hey, he's building again. He's over there working on that boat again. He's over there studying the word. He's praying. He's trying to show us the way to survive because most of the world church is not going to survive. They're just not. And we need people that are truly baptized and understand what Noah did, a prophetic word about what's happening in the world and the inheritance that's ours to take. Hallelujah. Amen. So as we go on here, we see that they were baptized at the Red Sea according to, um, according to the Bible here. Here's one that maybe, and I've got a real good one that's coming after this, but I want to set this foundation too. How many know at creation we see the same pattern? It says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form. And void and darkness was over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You see that in the beginning, the earth had no form and nothing was created. There was darkness. There was water. Then there was the Holy Spirit. And then there was light. You all see the difference? In order for God to create, he separated the light and the dark. And the only thing in between was water and the Holy Spirit, and then they begin to create something new. How many know that's a pattern of baptism? Because then you begin to see in chapter 1 of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And that sounds an awful lot like Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. Sounds an awful lot like creation. Light, darkness, Holy Spirit, the water, all of it's there. Now, light has come into the world and it's the light of men. It's life. The light shines in darkness. Darkness comprehends it not. We'll go a few verses later here, the next two verses. There came a man who was sent from God whose name was John. That's the one we've been studying. John the Baptist came from God. Why did you come, John? What is your mission? He came from God. His name was John. He came as a witness. What's a witness do? Tell everybody what he's seen, right? What are you a witness of, John? He's a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all men might believe. Well, when did John come exactly? John came to a place called Beth Bera beyond the Jordan. All four Gospels say it. 
And he began to do what? Baptize. Separation of darkness and light. I'm entering into the light. I'm separating myself from the darkness. God, I'm dedicated to you. My sins have been forgiven. My sins have been covered. That pitch is covered inside and out. I'm ready to float when judgment comes. I'm ready to float into this new world, this new creation. I'm a new person. I'm being separated, light from darkness. I'm separating myself from a condemned world, and I'm claiming my inheritance today. You say, well, what if I'm not good enough? You don't understand the gospel. The gospel says my conscience is now toward God. doesn't mean I'm perfect. It just means that I'm going after God with all of my heart. How will God know it's all of my heart? Because he knows all the intents of your heart. He knows you're going to fail. How many know that? But God has prepared a plan where we cannot fail, fail, church. Now, here's what's amazing. John's ministry was baptism. It's the passage from darkness to light. I voluntarily decided that I am no longer darkness The Spirit of God is separating my insides. And now I'm pursuing light every day of my life. Now I'm separated from those who are condemned. I passed, the Bible says, Peter, or Paul says, I passed from darkness into light. His marvelous light, he said. Not not just light. Marvelous light. So here's what's amazing, something you may have never noticed. The Bible says in all four Gospels that Jesus was baptized in a place called Beth Bera. Beth Bera. That sounds like a famous baseball player for the Yankees. Not Yogi Berra. All right. He would have said the same line, right? Uh, how many like Yogi Berra? Yeah, he's got the greatest lines. But this place turns out it's really important. Bethbara means the house of the Ford or the place where the Ford is. Not that there was a Ford automobile there. All right. A Ford is a place where during the rain season it floods and when there's not a flooding season it dries out. And so John was looking for a place where there was an abundance of water. And this is a rain season. So John has the perfect place to baptize people. And you say, well, why is it important where John baptizes? Because this place um, is a location that's well known to Israel. In fact, if you go to um, Joshua, I'm going to read a lot of it here, but i got a little time. Chapter 3, actually I think I'm going to start in chapter 2 here, listen to this. It says, Joshua, this is verse 6, I think, chapter 2. It says, Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. Okay, if to catch up to speed here, Israel is about to enter into the promised land. All right? They've been baptized at the Red Sea, but what happened to that whole group of people? They died. The whole generation died through unbelief. They could not enter in because of unbelief. So now they go through the wilderness period. They go through all of this. Now they're at the Jordan and they're ready to be baptized, a whole new generation. And now they're going to actually do what the last generation was supposed to do. Who do you think this is an example of? How many know Joshua is the same word as Jesus? How many know that there's a generation of people that would not enter into Jesus, would not enter into the promised land? This is another antitype of baptism, all right? This is another antitype of the church, all right? And it says the Ark of the Covenant, well, the Ark of the Covenant was a rectangular thing called an ark, all right? It was built to specifications, and a lot of people believe they're not the exact word But a lot of people believe that that and the ark are the only two rectangular things that were ever prescribed to be built a specific way by God. And a lot of people that believe that that ark is symbolic of the ark of Noah. Because Noah's was a covenant. This was a covenant. 
This was an agreement with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that box, that chest represented the covenant God had with his people. So he says, grab that ark, okay? The water in front of them is full. It's, it's, it's flooded. It's flooding season. All right? Take that ark and prepare to cross over into the promised land. They're about to cross over into Jericho and receive the promise that God had for them. Right? And so it says, grab the priest, take the ark, ark of the covenant, pass ahead of the people. They took it, went ahead of them. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you and I am with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the ark, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. Now you see this picture, a nice big flooded area here. They've got the Ark of the Covenant. They're standing in the River Jordan, right? Now they're called Israel because they've been baptized in the Red Sea and became a nation in the wilderness, right? Okay, then he says, Stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gingasites, Gingasites, Gergesh, oh, my, my eyes. Gergeshites, I know that's Gergeshites, Amorites and Jebusites. See the, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. So who's going ahead of them? The ark of the covenant of the Lord. Boy, this looks a lot like Noah's flood, doesn't it? He's going to lead them with the ark through the waters, okay? And he says, as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, Set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will stand up in a heap. What's that sound like? Sounds like the Red Sea again, doesn't it? It'll, those waters will recede, they will stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. So they're going first, leading with the Ark, right? Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap at a great distance away in a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan, stood on dry ground while all Israel passed till the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take the twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan. So where it's dry right in the middle, twelve tribes. Now follow me on this. Twelve tribes are to grab twelve stones and they're supposed to put them in a certain place, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a what? Sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes. And the Lord told Joshua as they carried them over with them to their camp, where they told him where to put them down. Joshua set up where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. You hear that? Now the priests who carried, now they're there to this day for what purpose? A memorial forever to the children of Israel, right? The people hurried over, and as soon as they crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, God, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, okay, all of them. Okay, let me skip down here to verse 19. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal twelve stones taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you crossed over. The Lord said, "Did the Jordan, Lord, 
The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over. He did this so all the peoples of the earth, that's us, might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and might always fear the Lord your God. Now see, here's what's amazing. I did all that to just say this. Matthew 3, 9, John is baptizing. He says this, Do you think you can say to yourselves, he's talking to the the Jewish scribes and Pharisees while he's baptizing. Do you think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father? I tell you that out of these stones, some of you didn't catch that. Out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Here's another version, New Living. Don't just say to each other, we're safe. We're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Church, understand that when Jesus got baptized, that's the exact location they were entering into the promised land. God wrote these things from the very beginning at creation. He was telling us, in Christ is your ark. In Christ is the only way to receive the promise of heaven, the inheritance, the only way you'll ever inherit, the only way you'll ever not be condemned with the world is in Christ. Jesus Christ stood in the very location where they entered, and the reason I know it is because the stones were there. When he points to the stones and he preaches to Israel and he says there's going to come a future date when you're going to look at these stones and they're going to say, what are they for? And you're going to say, God did this. We entered over here with the ark leading. He's going to say, Joshua was leading. That's Jesus. How do we miss this? And he's saying, look at the stones. John's saying, look at the stones. Those stones are by faith. If you won't believe, I'll raise up a generation that will believe and they will enter in. One generation died, they refused to enter in, even though God did more miracles for that group than any group that ever lived. God did more miracles for the generation of the Red Sea. They all died and would not believe. And this generation, he said, look at those stones and remember, one generation died and wouldn't believe. And if you won't believe, I'll raise up a generation that will. And he raised up the church. He raised up the church out of those stones that were put on that bank. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And church, that is why we baptize. And that's why we submit to baptisms, no questions asked. So I don't care how long you've been serving the Lord. If you didn't do it like that, you maybe didn't do it. Hallelujah, stand on your feet. Find a place to worship the Lord today. Hallelujah. And I've got my list up here. If you want to be water baptized, I'm a believer in it. Hallelujah. There's something powerful about baptism that we don't even understand. I know that if Moses wasn't baptized, that was, how many know that was the cause that made everything happen in his life? Because they sent him through that baptism, everything happened in his life. He got a new name. He lived in the palace. He delivered his people. If, if, if Noah doesn't submit himself to that baptism, then God doesn't do all the things he plans on doing in Noah's life. And church, I'm telling you, there's something. I'm not telling you you have to do the physical act to be saved. I'm telling you there's something about a baptism in your heart that releases all of heaven on your behalf. And because of that, God puts into motion a person with enough faith to deliver even his own household and those around him. God will make you build a boat so big that we'll pack it with people that are going to survive judgment. Judgment, I can tell you for sure, church, is not is going to happen. It's going to happen very soon. It's not going to delay. Everything is being set up like the days of Noah, and God wants faithful people who every day are saying, you know what, I'm building a boat 
in Jesus Christ. It's going, and I want it to be as big as I can make it because I want everybody to go with me. Hallelujah. How many, how many think it's going to be an awesome thing when that, when that door comes open? Sometimes we look at it as like a gate and somebody's sitting there with a feather pin. Man, I, I think it might be a bolt, Bob. I don't know. It might be a big old bolt and that door might come open and we might be like, man, there's Pastor Rod. He's like, man, I'm glad you guys could join us. Come on in here. We're having a good time. All right. How many can see that? Hallelujah. I want us all to be there, but we've got to be people who are truly baptized into Christ and are preparing for that day. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. My list is up here. Let's just take a little time to worship before we leave. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, today's the day. There's no delay on it. You can't wait. We've got to do it right. Hallelujah. Find me if you need that prayer. Hallelujah. you to think about it, give you a little homework for next week. Uh, We know all about the water. You know, uh, entering into God's presence, there was always blood and water. And uh, creation, I told you, new creation, there's the water present there, but there's something else there you need to figure out about, and that's the Holy Spirit. Next week, let's figure out why the Holy Spirit's there. It's a very uh, important part of baptism that the Holy Spirit is there. And in creation, you can just see the energy of the Holy Spirit. Just a vibrating energy going over the face of the earth, creating new life, creating new people, creating new hearts, creating new names. Church, there is a power of the Holy Spirit that is present at that baptism creating something totally new. Hallelujah. This is so important that the Holy Spirit is a part of your baptism. From the very moment that the light and the darkness is separated, then the Holy Spirit just begins to pulsate, begins to energize, begins to move and you say, well, what did it did? Well, only created a vast universe and an amazing earth. And you say, well, what can the Holy Spirit do in me? I don't know. It's beyond me. But I know He wants to. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's just begin to cry out, church. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord. Plan is so perfect, Lord God. Your purposes, Lord God, are beyond anything we can imagine, Lord. Reveal yourself to this church, Lord. Oh, reveal yourself to this church, Lord. Lord, let us fall in love with you. Holy Spirit, be creative in our hearts. Build things that are new. Shatter the old. Behold, Lord God, make all things new in this church. Lord, we'd, uh, we lay ourselves down, Lord God. Our plans, our purposes, our will, Lord God, we won't hold back. Give all ourselves to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, bless this church, Lord. Oh, bless your people, Lord God. Lord, I pray for mighty things in their life, Lord God. Holy Spirit, begin to move in every heart. Begin to create, begin to energize every heart. Begin to build, grow. Oh, draw close, Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus.
Hallelujah. I just want to remind anybody that's on my list here, I would love to have a meeting. I think I'll do it in the kids' room just so it's a little quieter. So anybody on my list, just meet me back there as soon as I finish praying here. And um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. And, And Lord, just bless your people, Lord God. Lord, I pray that there would be an insatiable hunger, Lord, for you, Lord God. Father, you are the creator of that, Lord. Put a hunger inside of us, Lord God, greater than any time in our lives, Lord God, that we would be so hungry, Lord God, that only you fill our souls, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for all the mighty things that you're doing around us, Lord. Lord, give us sensitivity to your spirit. To see every mighty work. Lord, bless your people, Lord God. Keep them, Lord. Fill them, Lord. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.